Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Consumed Sermon Series, which talks about loving God and loving others with everything that we have. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We're just going to read one verse here at the beginning, uh, verse number 14. And it says this, and if you'd all please stand with me out of respect for God's word, as we read 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. And God, thank you that we uh, have the privilege and the opportunity to be able to open your word tonight, uh, that we don't have to do it in fear of what the government might do to us, uh, but that we have the freedom uh, that you have given us for this time. And so, God, we ask that we would take full advantage of that. And uh, Lord, that we would take to heart the truths that we find in your word this evening, uh, that it wouldn't fall uh, maybe on deaf ears, Lord, uh, but that we would have a heart to obey uh, what you have for us. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to start off by saying thank you so much uh, for everyone that was involved uh, in praying for us, uh, for many that uh, gave uh, to groceries and uh, some different cards uh, for me and Samantha uh, as uh, we were going off and getting married and then coming back. That was a huge blessing, and thank you so much for that. Uh, this passage, as I was studying, uh, was so uh, maybe chock full of uh, different truths from God's Word. And uh, so I knew when I started studying uh, that maybe I couldn't just go to uh, verse 14. Uh, but for context, uh, we have three different uh, maybe sections of this chapter that we're going to look at today. And the first of these sections is an awesome hope heaven. We see Paul saying in verse number one, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In the chapter previous, Paul had been talking to the Corinthian church about uh, how even though sometimes we go through uh, troubles and trials right now on this earth, that the troubles work for us something much better. Uh, hearing uh, in, uh, in the life stages about walking through fire and rejoicing in trials uh, made me think uh, of tonight's message in particular, uh, that the trials that we go through in life, that the hard things we go through are not just there to beat us down, they're not just there uh, maybe even as roadblocks, uh, but they're there to grow us and to conform us more to the image of Christ. And so that's exactly what Paul's talking about in chapter four of this book. And so in chapter five, he talks about this again, but he says that we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if our bodies were to die, we have a building of God. We have that home in heaven and house not made with hands eternal. He says, in this body we groan in verse number two, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. We want that perfect body. And, uh, you know, maybe sometimes uh, we see people that spend a lot of time working out and they're very strong. Uh, but even those people would know uh, maybe from some different aches and some different pains that they have to go through in order to do that, uh, that these bodies are not perfect. Uh, my wife would tell you uh, I lost maybe about 20 to 25 pounds uh, right before the wedding and uh, quickly after the wedding and the honeymoon and, 
eating out, I, I gained most of it back. And so I'm very uh, cognizant of the fact that, uh, that my body is imperfect. Uh, but Paul says here, in this body we groan. We realize that there's imperfection in what we have. And we desire to have that perfect body that's coming, that perfect home. He says, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. You see, in the Greek religion, uh, there was this thought that unless you were maybe uh, an exceptional person, unless you were, uh, let's say, a ruler or maybe a very high-ranking priest, uh, you didn't go to a place maybe like we would say heaven. And unless you were exceptionally bad, maybe uh, the worst of the worst murderers, uh, maybe one of those kinds of people, you didn't even go to hell. Uh, if you died and you were just a regular person, uh, you basically just became a ghost. There was no hope of maybe a, a great afterlife for you. Uh, there was no hope. But Paul says, in contrast uh, to the Greek religion that the Corinthians would have uh, been involved in before, he says, if so be that being clothed, when we die, we have that hope in heaven. We have that hope of getting our new bodies. And that's something that the Corinthians hadn't had hope for before, but now they do in the gospel. He says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. He says, the person that has made all of this possible, that we would be able to have that hope forever, is God. And it, I love how it phrases it here. He says, he that wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. Aren't you glad that you didn't add anything to your salvation? You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to do enough good deeds. You didn't have to give enough money. You didn't have to be baptized enough times in order to have that relationship with God and that hope forever. It was all done by God. God created us. God came down and lived a perfect life and died for us in our place. And uh, I was reading earlier, and there's uh, maybe even some people that I grew up with uh, that have the thought that, okay, you have to be good for long enough in your life, and if you're still like maybe on the right path, and if you're still doing good at the end of your life, then you can have a home in heaven. But if you don't continue on uh, maybe doing all the right things, that hope's not there for you. And I'm so thankful that uh, the plan that God has for us is so much different than that. Uh, I love that uh, Hebrews phrases it, um, that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Um, there's uh, some different things that uh, a professor of mine in college, uh, Dr. Jim Shetler, phrased uh, that talked about the eternal security that we have as believers, uh, that we're born into the family of God. It talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, in Romans chapter 8, and in several different places uh, that we are adopted as children of God. And once you're a child of God, you can't unbecome a child of God. You see, maybe even on earth, you might have a, a relationship with your father that's maybe distant or a little bit strained, but that person is still your father. And uh, in our lives, even though sometimes we may try and run away from God, even though sometimes uh, we don't uh, have that relationship with God that we should, he's still always our father. Not only that, but Jesus talked about in the book of John that he is in his father's hand and those that Jesus has redeemed are in his hand. And he said, no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. And I'm so thankful that no man can pluck them out of my father's hand.
I'm glad that nothing I do can undo what Christ has done. Not only that, but Christ has purchased us with his own blood. It's not that we earned the right to salvation and thus we can unearn the right, but it's Jesus said, this one's mine, I paid for it. And we can't undo Christ's payment for our sins. And that's this amazing thing uh, that it says here, now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing as God. God has done this. Not only did he save us though, he hath also given unto us the earnest of the spirit. My dad's a realtor and uh, for maybe 15 years or so growing up, he was on the other side of real estate as a mortgage broker. And uh, as a mortgage broker, a lot of times you have a down payment that you make uh, on a house that you're going to buy. And the Bible uses that example of an earnest, of a down payment that God said, I'm going to bring you to heaven with me. And as a promise of that, as a proof that I'm good for what I said I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And what an amazing gift that is. It was incredible when Jesus came down and was Emmanuel, God with us. But now not only do we get to have God with us, but now God lives in us. And he, uh, Romans chapter 8 talks about the fact that uh, the Spirit also maketh intercession for us uh, with groanings that cannot be uttered. That even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. Uh, we see in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 uh, that the Spirit has also given us spiritual gifts. Uh, and I'm so thankful that God has put together uh, a body of Christ, a local church, where there are different people with different gifts that can minister to us. I'm so thankful that Mike and Rebecca have gifts of music that they're able to give. I'm so thankful for uh, Daniel Blem and the different teaching uh, that he has and the gifts that he has. Others of you uh, maybe that have great gifts in cooking or in working behind the scenes or in greeting people and being friendly, uh, that God has put that together in such an incredible way, and he's done that through the Holy Spirit. It says here, therefore, we are always confident. Paul says, we're confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He says here, if we're here on earth and we're suffering and we're going through the hard times, that we know that we have a home in heaven because we have the Holy Spirit. That's God's down payment. It's God's promise. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a home in heaven and therefore we can be confident. And that brings him to the second point of this passage, which is an apparent lifestyle. He says, wherefore we labor because we have this confidence, because we have a hope in heaven, because we have the Holy Spirit, this is why we labor, that whether we be present or absent, we may be accepted of him. We do everything we do so that God would be glorified. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This was a very interesting uh, thing that I was able to study. This judgment seat that it talks about here is also known as the Bema seat of Christ. 
And the Bema seat uh, to the Corinthians would have brought to mind, uh, it's, it would have been something similar to the Olympic Games uh, that were held every four years. Uh, but there was also another one, and I can't pronounce the name of it, uh, Ichthamus Games or something along those lines, uh, that were held right near Corinth. Uh, it was every four years on a cycle. And at these games, you would have uh, maybe the different contenders. Maybe you'd have some people that were running. You would have some people that were doing chariot races. You'd have some people that were wrestling. And whatever they were doing, they were doing it for a prize. And once all of the events had been done and you had the awards ceremony that was coming, you had the person that was giving the awards uh, at the top of the bima. It was basically a raised platform or a seat. We know it maybe today uh, in the Olympic Games uh, where you have the big stage that's there. And you'd have maybe the person that got first was on, you know, maybe the top rung. You'd have person that took second, second rung, person that took third on the third rung. And this is what Paul is talking about here when he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether it be good or bad. Um, we have here an apparent lifestyle that happens, that all of us are working for the rewards that are coming. Paul talks about this again in 2 Timothy 2 and in several other places that we're not just living our Christian lives and then one day going to heaven but we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, like Jesus talked about in the book of Matthew. That the good things that we're doing maybe on this earth, when we tell someone about Jesus, uh, maybe when we show someone the love of Christ, Jesus talked about uh, uh, in one of his lessons, uh, maybe giving a cup of water to someone that's thirsty or giving uh, food uh, to someone that's hungry or giving clothes uh, to someone that needs it. When we're doing these things as unto Jesus, we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And this is why Paul says that they work so hard at what they do. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He says, knowing what's coming, we have this hope, we have heaven, we have that judgment seat of Christ where we get to receive the rewards for the things that we've done. We have this hope. But he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, in verse number 11, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. He says, the work that we're doing God knows the heart that we're doing it with. God knows the effort that we're putting into it. He says, and everything that we're doing is clearly shown to God. He says, and we hope is made clearly shown to you. You see, in the Corinthian church, there had been some that had come uh, by Judaizers uh, that said, okay, now that you're saved, you also have to keep the Old Testament law in order to maintain your salvation or in order to uh, maybe fully follow the full gospel. And, uh, and they even brought letters with them, letters of commendation that said, hey, this teacher that's coming to you, uh, I trust this person and they're you know, a great teacher, follow his teachings, and I give my authority and my signature to what this man is teaching. And so the Judaizers had come to Corinth and they said, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to follow the Old Testament law in order to uh, have God maybe be fully satisfied with you and uh, kind of as proof or authentication of what I'm saying. Here's these letters uh, from these maybe esteemed people, from these esteemed teachers. But Paul says this instead. He says, what we have done 
that the free gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't earn it uh, to get it, you don't earn it to keep it. And he says this, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Actually, I'll back up one verse. He says, for we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. Paul says, I'm not writing you a fancy letter to maybe say, hey, Paul is this great teacher, follow him. He says, the things that we've done and the Holy Spirit that we brought to you, not in our own power, but in the power of God, that's our letter of recommendation to you. He talks about that uh, in a couple chapters previous in chapter two. But he says this, that everything we do, we do for you. Because we have a hope and we know also that men uh, will one day face the terror of the Lord. One day, everyone will have to go to either heaven or hell. And as a result, this is why we work so hard. And this is what brings him to verse number 14. He says, we have a hope in heaven. Uh, we have uh, the judgment seat of Christ that's coming, that we're working, uh, that we can one day uh, receive those rewards for the good things that we've done. And we know that uh, the terror of the Lord is coming one day, and so we persuade men. He says this in 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In this phrase here where it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Uh, the word here is most often used in the Bible uh, almost in terms of a sickness uh, captivating a person or controlling entirely. Um, it's also used of a crowd that thronged around Jesus or completely surrounded him. And this is what Paul is saying that the love of Christ has done to the, to the ministers of the gospel, to him, uh, to Titus, to Timothy, and some others who were traveling with him. He says, God's love and Christ's love for us has completely captured us. This goes right along with our theme for this year, being consumed entirely with the love for God. And in this sense, he's almost saying, Christ's love for me is consuming me. That when I think about what Christ has done for me, it compels me to action. It moves me forward. You see, it's one thing to maybe say that you're consumed by God's love and just to go about your life as though nothing is different. It's another thing entirely to be so consumed with God's love that it moves you to action. We've heard about God's consuming love uh, for the loss that Robert preached about. We heard about God's consuming love that he desires we have for one another in the body of Christ that Micah talked about. We know what we should be doing, but we're not truly being consumed with God's love until it has moved us to action. This is what Paul says. The love of Christ constraineth us. Why? Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. The life that you're living is not your own. 
If you've been bought by the blood of Christ, you have a much nobler mission than living the life of Leo. You have a much nobler existence. You have a greater purpose than living the life that Brian Self wants to live. Because we're saved and because Jesus died for us, he said he died for us, that we should not live unto ourselves. That means what I do with my time should not be influenced by what do I want to do with my time? Where I spend my money should not be influenced by where do I want to spend my money? The people I talk to should not be influenced by who do I want to talk to? Instead, what I do with my time needs to be spent how God would want me to. How I spend my money should be how God would want me to. And the people I talk to should absolutely be influenced by who does God want me to have a conversation with. Here's what Paul's saying here. And it leads him from this apparent lifestyle that uh, him and, and Titus and Timothy had. And he says, you've seen how we've walked. You've seen the fervor that we've had to tell other people about the gospel. Uh, we do it uh, not to uh, glory in appearance like the Judaizers were. He says, but we do it for your sakes. We do it because Christ's love is consuming us. And so as a result, we move forward. And we see here next, an ambassador's mission. He says, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. He says the relationships that we used to have that were strictly human. If we wanted to talk to someone, we talked to someone. If we wanted to go somewhere, we went somewhere. Uh, the relationships that we had Strictly human, normal, physical level. But he says, uh, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. He says, now everything that we're doing has a different purpose. How about you tonight? Is how you interacted with people before you were saved the same now? Maybe the, the cashier at the register do you react the same way to him or her now as you did before you were saved? If that's the case, can I encourage you and encourage myself that we need to start thinking about things in light of our mission? We'll get to the ambassador part in a minute. But now we have the new outlook on life. That now people aren't just Leo and Janet and Veronica. People are now souls that will spend somewhere for eternity. Everyone. We were struck with, uh, with some uh, statistics that we heard uh, from a 90-year-old missionary uh, this week at Spiritual Leadership Conference that we're very near 8 billion people in the world I think the statistic was about 56% of which have never even heard uh, the slightest sample of the gospel. If they've ever heard the name of Jesus, 
It might be as a swear word. It might be just be a foreign God that they want nothing to do with, but they've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And as sad as that statistic is of the many people that have never heard the gospel that live in uh, what's commonly known as the 1040 window or uh, many closed off countries that uh, won't allow Christianity to be preached or practiced openly, how sad it is that there are people in our own city who have never heard the gospel once. And can I encourage you that each of us have unique relationships with people that other people may not have. Pastor Fountain will not have the same connection or the same contacts or the same relationship with people that maybe Veronica gets to. Just like the story of Esther, where Mordecai said, maybe it's that God has placed you in the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe God has placed you in the family that he did for such a time as this. Maybe it's God has placed you in the workplace that he has for such a time as this. Utilize and make the most of where you are, the relationships you have, and the people you interact with. Because we have a mission. We see here next, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're thankful tonight that God has made all things new in our life, can you say amen? Amen. amen. I love Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8, where Paul talks about this very fact. He says that once we could not help but do, uh, we couldn't help do anything but sin. He says we were slaves to sin. But then he says, because of what Christ has done, our obligation to sin has died. And now we are free to live the way that Christ would want us to. We're free to do what's right. Before we couldn't. Uh, the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But now we have Christ's righteousness uh, imputed or put onto us, not because of our own good works, but because of his sacrifice. And because of that, we're able to have a new outlook on life. You see, in our flesh, it's not normal to go up to the different people in our life and say, hey, do you know Christ is your savior? If, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Those aren't natural, normal human things to talk to someone else about. But because Christ has made all things new in our lives, we have the freedom to be able to do that. He says here, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, what is the ministry of reconciliation? He says, it's this, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. And this is where we get this point, an ambassador's mission. This verse here, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, 
we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God says this, you are not just Micah Bosworth living your life one day going to heaven. You're Micah Bosworth, ambassador to a sinful world from heaven. You see, there's the old song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't stay at home in this world anymore. And while uh, maybe a great truth in there that this world isn't our home, we are ambassadors. What a terrible ambassador it would be uh, maybe to, let's just say Canada. If the United States wanted to have a good diplomatic relationship with Canada, but the ambassador just walked around uh, drinking Tim Horton's coffee and uh, eating poutine and going about his own life, maybe going camping, doing everything except the job that he was sent there to do. And yet as Christians, how many times are we guilty of that? We are sent here by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords from a perfect country to a sinful world to tell people that they need the saving power of Jesus Christ. May we not be guilty in our lives of wasting and ignoring the mission that God has given to us. Can I tell you that it's an incredible thing to have a mission at all, let alone a mission of this magnitude? Uh, many of you know that uh, teen suicide, especially in the United States, uh, in Japan and in China, has never been higher. Uh, even among the rich and the famous and the celebrities and the movie stars, they have constantly had uh, problems with drug abuse. They've had problems of trying to fill the void in their life that's completely empty. And yet we have purpose. For every millionaire who said, another dollar just won't do it, there can be another Christian in this room who says, one more soul won't do it. Amen. The world is sold out to amassing whatever it is. If it's greater family relationships, if it's more money, if it's more uh, maybe cars or houses or lands, more power, more political influence, whatever it is, the world is always trying to get more and are never satisfied. But may we be Christians that are constantly going after those who are headed for an eternal place called hell and are never satisfied with seeing just one more saved. This was the entire pull of Paul's life. Whatever Paul did, he did with absolute abandon. When he was persecuting the church, he did it completely and totally. He went so far as to go to neighboring nations to try and bring back people 
to persecute and to kill. And then when he got saved, he went from nation to nation to nation to nation, trying to find people to bring to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to build churches. And maybe you, are, you and I aren't called to go from nation to nation to nation, but we are called to go from our family to another family. We're called to go from our neighborhood to another neighborhood. We're called to go wherever God would have us to. A consuming love will pull us forward. If you're not being pulled forward by this love for Christ or the love that Christ has shown to you, can I encourage you? Read Isaiah 53. Read Romans chapter 8. Read of the incredible love that God has for you, the incredible suffering that he went through. And let that pull you forward. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. When was the last time that you felt constrained, captivated, controlled by the love of Christ enough that it caused you to actually do something? Can I encourage you? We have an awesome hope. We have heaven waiting for us. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Because of that, we're free to live a life that's pleasing to God. We have the judgment seat of Christ waiting where we can go and receive those rewards for the good things that are done. But we have an ambassador's mission. Don't be a terrible ambassador by never completing the mission that you were called here to do. Let's end with this thought. Is God's consuming love for you sufficient motivation to live for him? So oftentimes we're motivated to do different things for a variety of reasons. Maybe we're motivated to do a project because we don't want our boss to be mad at us. We're motivated to, you know, complete the honey-do list so that our wife will be happy. We're motivated to work a little bit so we can take that vacation. But are we motivated by God's consuming love for us? I think there's no verse that maybe sums it up better than Robert's from last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No other God has ever done that for their people. Only our God. And is his consuming love for us sufficient motivation to live for him? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you'd say, Brian, I haven't been living in light of the awesome hope that we have in heaven. Or maybe you'd say, I feel like I have been living with that hope in mind. That I have had that lifestyle 
that seeks to honor God and seeks to bring other people to that knowledge of Him. Maybe you'd say, I haven't been doing my part as an ambassador. And can I tell you, that's a constant, lifelong, uh, maybe battle or a lifelong pursuit that we make. I can tell you that there's times even this week that I can think back and go, in that grocery store, I didn't act like a good ambassador. Can I encourage you though, that there was always time for that consuming love of God to pull you forward. For this week, as you go back to your family, as you go back to your job, as you go back to your neighborhood, that you can be consumed, compelled, constrained by the love of Christ to do something as a result of his love for you. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.